Today is Ash Wednesday. In a few moments, we will join hundreds of millions of other Christians around the world in a particular ritual. Ashes will be smeared across our foreheads in the shape of a cross. Why do we do this? Today's lectionary texts that have been read with us today suggest three reasons. First, we receive the, nut, the sign of the cross and ashes because we are dying and because we are dead. We are dying. We often try to ignore it. We pretend that it happens to everyone else. We refuse to look it in the eye. We don't admit that it's coming for us. We do everything we can to look younger, act younger, portray ourselves as if it's very, very far away. Sometimes we're good at deceiving others. Sometimes we're amazingly good at deceiving ourselves. We go to great lengths to distract ourselves and amuse ourselves so that we do not face this reality. As Blaise Pascal said in the 17th century, and sometimes I wonder what in the world would he say today? He says, being unable to cure death, wretchedness, and ignorance, people have decided in order to be happy not to think about such things. But deep down, we know that we cannot escape it. Death is coming for all of us. As Bertrand Russell once put it, every person, he says, is condemned today to lose his dearest and tomorrow himself to pass through the gate of darkness. We don't want to admit it. We try to avoid it. But we simply cannot. The sober truth, the very sobering truth, it is that it is coming for all of us. You will die. I will die. We are dying even now. There is no escape. And so today we recognize our finitude and our futility. Today we look death full in the face. We acknowledge that we are dying. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Indeed, today we receive the sign of the cross and ashes because, apart from Christ, we are not only dying, but we are already spiritually dead. Our biggest problem is not our finitude. It's our fallenness. It's not our mortality. It's our immorality. It's not merely that we're broken. It's that we're also bent by sin and twisted by vice. Our biggest problem is not the fact that we're dependent. It's our depravity. Our alternative Old Testament lectionary for today spells out the nature of this sin in some vivid and depressing detail. I mean, Joel is pretty good at it, but Isaiah really nails it. <laughs> he calls out hypocrisy and violence in particular. 
Isaiah warns against those who, as he puts it, do not share their bread with the hungry, those who do not bring the homeless into their houses, those who do not break the yoke of oppression. Our prophet Joel from the reading today, along with Isaiah and Amos and Zephaniah and Jeremiah, they point out that we are idolaters. And they paint this picture in no uncertain terms of how our idolatry produces injustice. Thus the prophet Joel cries out, he cries out as we heard a few moments ago, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm. Blow the trumpet. It's this picture of a watchman on a city wall. It's a picture of the trumpeter sounding the alarm. There's an enemy approaching. God's judgment is coming, he says. The day of the Lord is near. And this isn't the good news we thought it would be. Joel here echoes directly the language of the Exodus. But now, with the frightening twist. The judgment that God brought upon the Egyptians, those people is the judgment that God is bringing to us now. The picture he paints is one of darkness and gloom and clouds. And finally, this impenetrable, thick darkness and blindness that envelops us. And here Joel cries out in chorus with Zephaniah and Amos, sinners are under the wrath of God. The day of the Lord is coming to bring judgment. Sound the alarm, he says. Blow the trumpet. Brothers and sisters, there is no way to avoid this ugly truth. I have sinned. You have sinned. We have sinned. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We are sinners, sinners who desperately need a Savior. We talk a lot about sanctification and growth in godliness and holiness here, and rightly so. Amen to all of that. Amen and hallelujah to all of that. I believe in the reality that God cleanses sinful people, transforms them so they can be truly holy. But hear me carefully, brothers and sisters. Even the most godly saints need to confess their sin and look to their Savior. None of us rise to the point where we are above praying the Lord's Prayer. As the famous 19th century theologian and holiness advocate Daniel Steele put it, he says, if anyone says, however holy you may be in the present time, however the work of God by the divine spirit has, may have purged that person's soul and body, he says, if he says that he can live one minute without the atonement, then he is mistaken. So listen to the prophet. Blow the trumpet. Sound the alarm. The day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord will bring judgment. We're good at hiding this. We're good at deceiving others. We're good at deceiving ourselves. 
a few years ago, I was in um, Seoul in South Korea and for a series of lectures and sermons, and I had, a, I had a half day off, and they said, what do you want to do, just rest? And I said, how far is the, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone? And he said, oh, it's just a short bus ride away. So I went to it, and there are places along the demilitarized zone where one, it's narrow enough that one can look across, especially if one is on a hill, can look across and see into North Korea. At one point where the where there's a nice hill and where we're, the, the, the DMZ is fairly narrow, one can look across and see this pristine, beautiful, picturesque Korean village. I was standing there looking across, down the hill and across the valley to this village. And a gentleman next to me said, looks great, doesn't it? I said, yeah, it looks beautiful. He hands me a set of field glasses binoculars. And he said, what do you see now? You know what I saw? Something that was fake, lifeless. No one lives there. And he said to me, that's propaganda village. We're just so good at that, aren't we sometimes? We want to deny this. And on this day, we cannot. Blow the trumpet, Joel says. Sound the alarm. The day of the Lord is coming. And we receive the sign of the cross and ashes, not only because we are dying people who are finite, but because we are dead people who are fallen. We are sinners in desperate need of a savior. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We also receive the sign of the cross and ashes because we are longing for life. And Joel implores the people who claim to belong to the Lord to repent of their sins and return to God. He says, even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return, Joel urges us. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in hasad or steadfast love. Look, cries the prophet. Look at yourself, yes, but look beyond yourself to the God of your salvation, for there is yet hope. Here again, Joel directly echoes the Exodus. And here again, much like Moses, he follows the message of judgment with a message of hope. In a direct echo of Exodus 34, Joel joins Moses in pointing sinners to the God who he says is merciful and gracious, abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. And thus, of course, he joins Moses in calling God's people to return to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Come. Now think about this. We know something that Joel and Moses did not know. They knew that the God who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love is our hope of salvation. We know that too, but we know more. We know that this God became incarnate as our Savior, that the Son humbled himself and became obedient, 
even to death on a cross. We know as we were just reminded in our New Testament lesson this morning that for our sake God made him who knew no sin to be an offering for sin for us so that we, yes, you and me in all of our ineptitude, in all of our finite finitude and all of our brokenness and fallenness. Yes, you and me may become the righteousness of God. And so today we receive not only ashes, but also ashes in the sign of the cross. That is, we acknowledge not only our death, but also Christ's death on our behalf. And we do so responding to the gospel call on behalf of Christ, Paul says, be reconciled to God. Now, he says, is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, for us and our salvation. And finally, we receive the sign of the cross in ashes. Because those of us who are now joined in union with Christ are called to a cruciform life. That is, we are called to be, in Paul's language again, to be crucified with Christ. Notice again Paul's language in our New Testament lesson for this morning. His ministry, he says, is through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, and hunger. It is ministry, he says, that is with Christ, thus marked by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. Now make no mistake, brothers and sisters, to be ambassadors of reconciliation, as he calls us to in 2 Corinthians. To be ambassadors of reconciliation on behalf of the incarnate Son who humbled himself and suffered will involve humiliation and suffering. Make no mistake, life lived in union with Christ will be the cruciform life. And so today we receive the sign of the cross in ashes, in sober recognition and wide-eyed acceptance of the reality that to receive eternal life is to give one's life away for others. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Because, as Paul says explicitly, we work together with Christ. In conclusion, I want to point out something odd about Paul's statement. Paul says, our heart is wide open to you. He does not say my heart, nor does he say our hearts. He says, hey, cardia, hemon. The really crude translations that all of our New Testament professors despise would come out something like the heart of us. Our heart. As I was preparing this homily, I kept wanting to smooth this out. 
But I think it's important for us to see it as it is. And I know that there are other grammatical explanations on the table, but in light of Paul's broader theology of union with Christ, I think there's more than that. Recent work by people who work in philosophy of mind and psychology refer to something called joint attention. It's a way of talking about the phenomenon where the thoughts and affections of two different people can become so closely knit that it is as, almost as if they know the thoughts and feel the feelings of the other before they're even expressed. Now, we experience this in only the most fleeting ways. Sometimes in the moments of two best friends who knew each other so well that they share an inside joke merely by an exchange glance. Or the affections of two people so deeply in love that they instinctively feel the joys of the other. Or sometimes we'll see it in the awareness of a parent who just intuitively knows the pain and anguish of a child who's being bullied. I was walking through an airport, very, very busy airport. I saw um, something that I, I wasn't trying to stare, but it was just so obvious and kind of loud, it was hard not to. There was a, a young man, probably early 20s, who was obviously in a very, very difficult situation. He was full of anguish and he was crying out and he would keep bursting forth with these incoherent statements. And I happened to look up at him and I realized that he had just soiled himself. And then I saw his, a middle-aged man who was obviously his father. And I just saw that man's eyes and then I saw that man take his arms and wrap them around his son. He didn't need that son to articulate what was going on. He knew. He shared joint attention. Now we only see this in fleeting moments. But it may be that something like that is what Paul has in mind. Maybe it's something close to what he's talking about when he says our heart because when joined in union with Christ that is when crucified with Christ we begin to share Christ's own affections to love what he loves to love who he loves and when joined together in union with Christ we come to be of one heart, and our heart is thus opened. And so with Paul, I implore you, open wide your hearts also. Don't hide your sin. Don't retreat into propaganda village. Open it to Christ and receive his benefits. Open it today. Embrace the cruciform life of union with Christ. Understand that to receive eternal life is to give it.
and do not receive the grace of God in vain. Thank you.